Welcome, this is Dr. Michael Gloth, physician and geriatrician, with another episode of Senior Survival Guide. This podcast will address osteoporosis in the older adult. In the beginning of the millennium, there was an NIH consensus development conference that defined osteoporosis as a skeletal disorder characterized by compromised bone strength, predisposing to an increased risk of fracture. While we think of osteoporosis as a disease of older adults, in reality, it starts in the pediatric population. We are putting on bone into our skeleton every year until we reach about age 25 or 30. At that point, we achieve our peak bone mass, which represents the hardness, if you will, of the skeleton. After that, we lose about 1% of our skeleton per year as we age. It doesn't take much to recognize that if you start with a much higher peak bone mass, it will take a longer period of time until the bone declines to what I will call a fracture threshold. Hence, it is important in the early years to get adequate nutrition, calcium and vitamin D, and adequate weight-bearing exercise. So more volleyball net, less internet. Your genes or heritage have a little bit to do with this process as well, but that's not something you can modify at this point. So we're going to focus on risk factors that are modifiable and things that you can do to keep your bones strong and healthy. At the outset, it's important to remember that the skeleton is an important source of calcium and that calcium is extremely important to bodily functions overall. Calcium is is an important mineral for proper cellular function, pH balance, and overall homeostasis within the body. Generally, the body will rely on the diet to provide adequate amounts of calcium. But if you don't give the body sufficient amounts of calcium through your diet, it does have another source of calcium, your skeleton. And so what it can't get through the diet, it will get from your bones. Hence, getting 1,200 milligrams to 1,500 milligrams of calcium each day is absolutely important. Your body is set up to absorb up to about 500 milligrams of calcium at each meal. Therefore, you're going to want to get to that 1,200 to 1,500 milligrams of calcium daily through multiple meals throughout the day. There are lots of foods that have sufficient amounts of calcium to accomplish this relatively easily. Many dairy products such as milk, the helping of cheese, yogurt, will supply a little more than 300 milligrams of elemental calcium at each serving. If you are lactose intolerant, lactate, a milk that has the enzyme that lactose intolerant people lack, is just as good a source of calcium as regular dairy milk. Fat-free or regular milk makes no difference in terms of calcium content. If you are avoiding dairy products, almond milk is an excellent source, even better than regular milk with regards to calcium content. Other foods, such as broccoli, are also relatively high in calcium content. 
For more suggestions, simply go online and look for foods naturally high in calcium. It is important to be sure that your vitamin D levels are also adequate. In the mid-90s, we wrote an early paper on vitamin D deficiency in older adults, and suffice it to say that it is a common problem among seniors. The main source of vitamin D has been sunlight, but as we strive to protect our skin and make sure that we reduce our risk for skin cancer, we block the wavelength of ultraviolet rays that are necessary to convert the precursor molecule in our skin to vitamin D. Glass, sunscreen, all block that as well. For this reason, most people will rely on a dietary supplement since few foods contain adequate amounts of vitamin D for us to be able to get sufficient quantities in our diet. My recommendation is that people take between 800 and 2,000 international units daily, or if you take vitamin D3, which does not require a prescription, you can take a single 50,000 international unit capsule once a month. This has been shown to be beneficial in conjunction with calcium for bone and is at a dose that has never been shown to be deleterious. In addition to dietary considerations, one also wants to make sure that they have adequate amounts of weight-bearing exercise. This also has been shown to contribute to bone integrity and resistance to fractures. Walking is quite acceptable as a weight-bearing exercise. Other exercises, such as swimming or cycling, that don't truly involve weight-bearing will not be as helpful. We did talk about aging as being associated with bone loss, but there are other circumstances where bone loss can be accelerated beyond what we expect to see with aging alone. For women going through menopause, bone loss will increase to 3% or more per year. The use of certain medications can have a deleterious effect for everyone. Steroids in particular, whether used for arthritic conditions, lung disease, or other inflammatory processes over prolonged periods, especially up to six months, can lead to accelerated bone loss. Other medications such as loop diuretics, such as Lasix or furosemide, can induce calcium wasting and increase the risk for fractures and falls. It is important to take steps to prevent bone loss if taking any of these medications for prolonged periods. There are medications that have been approved both for the prevention of osteoporosis as well as for the treatment of it. All medications that have been approved to treat or prevent osteoporosis were approved based on studies that were conducted when subjects were taking adequate amounts of vitamin D and calcium. Before starting any medication for osteoporosis, the benefits and risks should be recognized. The risk of osteoporosis, of course, is predominantly related to fractures. 
in older adult women over the age of 65, the mortality rate after a hip fracture is somewhere between 20 to 25% in the first year alone. Half of the people who have a hip fracture will be unable to walk without assistance subsequently. And among those over the age of 65, about a third will become totally dependent after a hip fracture. About half of the women that are 50 years of age will experience a hip fracture in their lifetime. About a third of women at 50 will experience some type of vertebral compression fracture in their lifetime. Vertebral compression fractures often lead to a reduction in height, potentially back pain, and increase the risk for additional vertebral fractures fivefold and almost double the risk for a hip fracture subsequently. There are a variety of tools to assess risk for fracture as one ages. Such tools often calculate risk based on a person's age, their sex, their weight, their height, whether they've had a previous fracture or not, whether their parent had a fracture of the hip in particular. They'll look at current smoking, the use of steroids, the presence of rheumatoid arthritis, whether alcohol intake is excessive, and something called bone mineral density. Bone density testing is an important evaluation of the hardness of the bone, if you will. This should be done at baseline before starting a medication for osteoporosis and then subsequently to make sure that any medication has provided the benefit for which it was prescribed. Medications that have shown some benefit in addition to the calcium and vitamin D discussed earlier include estrogen replacement therapies, which includes selective estrogen receptor modulators such as raloxifene, calcitonin, which is an older drug and provides minimal benefit, a class of agents called bisphosphonates that includes alendronate, resedronate, abandronate, zoledronic acid, a medication called denosumab, which fits into a category called rank ligand inhibitors, parathyroid hormone-related products such as teriparatide, the 1 through 34 segment of parathyroid hormone, or PTH, which act in an anabolic fashion, meaning that they favor the deposition of bone, whereas the other agents mentioned work more by decreasing the resorption of bone. As bone turnover constantly occurs with gain or loss of bone dependent upon the balance between bone deposition and bone resorption. As of April of 2019, a new class of agents entered the market with the introduction of romosozumab, a monoclonal antibody that helps build new bone by blocking the effect of a protein called sclerostin. It has been approved by the FDA for use against osteoporosis in women considered to be at high risk for fracture. 
or who have been intolerant or refractory to other osteoporosis therapies. It should be recognized that bone is not a solid structure per se, and that there is more than one type of bone. Cancellous or trabecular bone, as is found in vertebral bodies and in some areas of the hip, can be viewed as a reticulated structure, similar to steel girders in a steel building. The integrity of these bridge supports is integral in the strength of bone and it's resistant to fractures. If bone thins out too much in the middle of these structural bridges, the remaining stumps are no longer able to provide the same amount of support. And most medications will thicken the stumps but not return the connecting bridges to their original form. For this reason, it is important to attack osteoporosis before enough bone is lost to erode some of these structural supports. It is also why bone density alone may not be a complete reflection of fracture resistance. Nonetheless, it is a very helpful tool when monitoring treatment efficacy. It is very important to note that there is tremendous variability between different instruments, even of the same make and model. Therefore, serial bone density measurements should always be made on the same instrument, preferably by the same operator. If this is not possible, your provider needs to set up a correlation between instruments in order to accurately reflect the changes in bone with a discrepancy between two different instruments. Additionally, even when using the same instrument, intra-instrumental variability will not sufficiently assess changes in bone density until it has reached at least a 3% margin. This generally will not occur in less than a six-month period of time and often will take over a year. For this reason, many people will not do repeat bone density testing in less than a two-year time frame. Working closely with your clinical provider will be important to be sure that you get adequate care to prevent fractures in the future. Strict adherence to prescription instructions also will be very important in order to optimize your benefit to your bones. For example, with the bisphosphonate agents, such as alendronate, only about 0.7% of the medication is absorbed. If it is taken with coffee, other medication, or certainly any foods, you may as well take the pill and throw it in the trash can because it will not be adequately absorbed to provide benefit. So in summary, a good diet with calcium and vitamin D, weight-bearing exercise, and close monitoring through your physician or other clinical provider will go a long way to promote good bone health and improving your functional survival as you age. This is physician and geriatrician, Dr. Michael Gloth, helping with information to make your older years healthier and happier.